Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thanks for joining today. Today we have on a very special guest. Her name is Lori Lewis. And Lori's story is very interesting for two reasons. First, she does not have diabetes, however, She came to intermittent fasting around the time she was going through menopause and she had gained 50 pounds. She has since lost that 50 pounds and has been intermittent fasting for five years. So she's been at this quite a while and has been able to maintain her weight successfully. Second, Lori is an intermittent fasting coach. When I started intermittent fasting a year ago, I did not know that there was such a thing as an intermittent fasting coach. But when I look back on when I started intermittent fasting, There was a very large emotional component to starting the process. There was trying to lengthen my fasting periods. There was a lot of negotiation around food, appetite correction, those types of things. And I think that if I'd had a coach in the beginning, it might've been a little bit smoother for me. So Lori goes through what she works on with her clients as they are beginning their journey. She also works with quite a few clients that have type two diabetes. She's very knowledgeable about the health aspect of intermittent fasting and how intermittent fasting can be used to reverse type 2 diabetes. So from that perspective, she's extremely well-rounded. I think you will find this interview with Lori to be very insightful and valuable, and I had such a nice time speaking to her, so I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to speak to you. I've heard you on a number of other people's podcasts and Every time I hear you on those podcasts, I just think she just sounds like the nicest, most motivating person I can think of. And every time I hear your voice, I just smile. So I'm so happy to speak to you today. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. You just made my whole day. It is really fun talking to people and having, you know, a podcast interview because each host is unique. And I just imagine the listeners out there. And I just really care a lot about people feeling better. So thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited to share your story with the listeners of this podcast and then also talk to them a little bit more about your coaching practice because I I started intermittent fasting sort of on my own, but I have some people in my life that I know that are just starting on their journeys and they're asking me a lot of questions. I'm like, you know, this would, this would be a perfect time for you to hire a coach perhaps to help you through that. So if people are listening to this podcast and they're, they're new to intermittent fasting, I think it would be great for you to just tell them how, you know, how they might interact with you if they were to hire you and like what they could expect from the process. And I just think the service you provide is a really good one. But before we get into all that, maybe you can just give us a little bit about your backstory because I love how you came to intermittent fasting and just a little bit more about you in general. Well, I have always had an interest, a passion for nutrition. Well, not always. My 20s, I kind of felt like I was in a fog. And um, I remember 
it was my late twenties, maybe 28 or 29. And I remember having the thought kind of like, huh, I think this diet Coke isn't that good for me. (laughs) And that began, uh, I just weaned right off of soda. I don't think I ever drank a soda ever again after that. I don't know. It was just like, yeah, I don't think I need this in my life. And then I basically around that same time, just stopped eating sugar and stopped eating sweeteners. It made sense to me. It's like, I don't want to replace the sugar with a sweetener. I don't know. It it was like this epiphany in my late twenties. And then maybe, I don't know, five, six years after that, I started learning more about nutrition and it was really fun for me. So people in my life have always known me as like the healthiest person they know, you know, and I never wanted to be the food police. I kind of kept my head down, did my own thing, but people knew that I ate a lot of vegetables (laughs) (laughs) and didn't eat much dessert. Like I'd be at a wedding and somebody's like, are you getting cake? And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want cake. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't like it that much. (laughs) So I trained my taste buds to like bitter things and just lost a taste for sweetness, but it it took a mindset shift. And um, so fast forward to my mid forties and late forties and perimenopause hit. And, you know, in my early forties, I felt like the top of my game, like I was running marathons, I was fit and lean and felt great. I'm like, wow, the forties are where it's at. And, um, they don't send us to biology class for older ladies and uh, no one really lets us know all the different things that might be happening uh, in the mid to late forties and early fifties in perimenopause and menopause. And so I just, you know, if you see a checklist of all the possible things that could happen, I just ticked all the boxes and starting with some night sweats and hot flashes that I thought, my gosh, my air conditioner's broken. It's like, no, the AC is cranking and it's me that is going through this big hormonal shift. So I had about five years of no fun in perimenopause. I couldn't wait for my period to stop. It stopped when I was 49, which is early. Menopause is usually, you know, that final shift is usually about 51, 52 years old for women. And I was so happy. And then I gained 50 pounds. Boom. Menopausal, stubborn, hormonal fat. Like my, I I just felt like my body was holding onto it like oxygen. Like we're not letting go. And it, I applied all the old tricks that I'd used up until then to lose weight. And that didn't work. And I knew it was hormonal and I didn't know what to do about it. And I kept looking and searching and four and a half years of struggle. And the thing was, it wasn't just the weight gain. I mean, that was no fun, but, and unexpected. And people, people said to me, you're the healthiest person we know. How could this happen? I'm like, I don't know. And so I knew it was obviously linked to menopause and this massive hormonal shift. I just didn't know what to do about it. And so after four and a half years of struggle, uh, not only the weight gain, but brain fog and memory loss. And I was aching head to toe, my shoulders, my hips, my knees, my elbows, like all of me hurt. And um, I went home to Colorado where I grew up and my, for a long visit with my mom. And she said, let's use this time that you're home to turn the weight around. Oh, I know. It was such a loving thing to say, but daughter ears don't hear it that way. 
And I wailed and cried and said, you know, menopause wasn't hard for you, but what do you, you know, what do you think I'm not trying? And, you know, and I can't just snap my fingers and make it all go away. I knew the weight gain was a symptom of something else. And I didn't know how to address the something else. And so um, she was just so loving and listened to me crying like a five-year-old. And um, that night I went upstairs and I Googled the same thing I always had. And Lucy, what was so surprising to me was after a 20 to, you know, 25, 30 years of studying nutrition, I had never heard of intermittent fasting. I knew that you could go away to, you know, some retreat somewhere and they would take care of you and you could do some water, long water fasting to, to heal some ailments, like, you know, heard of that, but therapeutic fasting, but I didn't know that you could have a pattern of fasting and eating to bring insulin low down and tap into your fat stores and fuel your brain on ketones and heal your body head to toe of inflammation and, you know, all the ailments. And so that night up popped the words intermittent fasting after doing the same Google search I always had. And I, I stayed up all night and listened to videos and read things and figured it out and said to my mom the next morning, I think I might've found an answer. I'm going to, and she said, well, explain it to me. I said, well, I'm just going to stop eating and then I'll eat later. She's like, well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and so every day for over five years, I've eaten in an eating window and I get to choose when that is. So that's why I get to say I've done it every day because some days it's two hours, some days it's 12 hours. I get to make the eating window work for my life and I get to take advantage of the fasting hours because I view the fasting hours as my healing hours, the hours that my body is in repair. Yeah, I, I, I love that part of your story. And I mean, I'm just, just to out of curiosity. So when you had gained that 50 pounds and when you, when you lost it by intermittent fasting, your diet hadn't really changed at all aside from the fact that you were fasting. That's right. So people think, well, you know, it's a natural question. Of course you changed a lot more than just fasting. I'm like, no, here's the amazing thing about my story. I'd been a air quotes, healthy, right? Every healthy eater. There's when I say healthy eater, I mean, a person who mostly does not eat ultra processed food. Okay. So a healthy eater could be someone who's carnivore or someone who's plant-based or so, a person who has is turning away from ultra processed food and is focusing mostly on real whole foods. Um, that's what I mean when I say healthy eater. So I've been a healthy eater for 20 years. And I always say I ate the exact same way when I was lean and fit. I ate the exact same way when I gained 50 pounds and I ate, ate the exact same way when I lost 50 pounds. And the difference was intermittent fast, well, menopause and intermittent fasting. And so, yes, in my health coaching practice, I absolutely support and steer people towards the foods that are going to make them feel their best and have, you know, all their health, health markers good and optimized, but that's different for each person. But healthy food is real whole food in my book. So, and yeah, even, you know, the healthy food aisle in the grocery store is full of ultra processed foods. So it's a big part of my guidance. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is, uh, that's, that's a very unique aspect of your story. I think a lot of people that come to intermittent fasting also try to make dietary changes at the same time, but you sort of isolated that one variable and you were like, it's fasting. I need to fast. So that you figured that out for yourself. That's amazing. Thank you. I, you know, what was particularly amazing Lucy is that, you know, it took 15 months to lose the 50 pounds. Now that's not fast. That's not quick, but it's, I mean, it's amazing that it happened and it was slow and regimented, right? So the amazing thing was that I felt better in three days. I was standing there in my mom's kitchen and I remember feeling clear and not foggy and focused and bright, like, oh, there I am. There's me that's been gone for these five to 10 years of perimenopause and menopause. And that kind of brightening awakening was so oh, such a relief to feel like yourself again it's hard to describe what that is but you know what you feel like when you're at your best and that's what I'm trying to have myself stay there and get everybody everybody feeling like that feeling your best yeah, and that's, that's an amazing part of your story. And it's actually, you know, I've talked to quite a few people on this podcast that have diabetes, both type one and type two, and yeah. they're around menopause, whether they're perimenopause or postmenopause or whatever the case may be. And they end up, you know, that's around the time that a lot of people get type two diabetes in particular. And yeah. it's, it's just like that double whammy and people end up trying to figure out how they can heal themselves. And intermittent fasting is obviously a huge component of that. And they also most of the type two diabetics that I speak to change their diet to be something more like low carb, just to try to get their insulin levels down. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not saying that dietary changes aren't important. I really believe I want people eating actual food. I, I joke and I say, they don't sell a lot of food at the grocery store. And people are like, what do you mean? That's all they sell there. I'm like, no, pretty much no paper products ultra processed food and a little food around the edges. You know? <laughs> and um, so I, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Dr. Jason Fung and what he does with people at their clinic in Toronto. And no, we need to make for many people immediate dietary changes and immediate changes to a fasting schedule and an eating window. But what I've found in my own experience and now coaching thousands of people that I kind of go against what most coaches do, which is they recommend making the dietary changes first, and then they think it's easier to start fasting. No, it is. People are so emotional about food, right? So if we can focus on fasting clean, which makes it a lot easier, plain, plain unflavored, stick to the plain unflavored water, plain unflavored black coffee, plain unflavored green or black tea. Okay. Plain unflavored, no lemon, no fat in your coffee, no bone broth, plain that makes fasting easier. And it gets us what we call fat adapted more quickly. So the body moves more quickly through the adaptation phase or the adjustment phase. And I recommend move, going gradually. Decide today what time you're going to close your eating window. Let's say eight or six or whatever works for you. 10, I don't care, but let's say eight. Then drink plain water, go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, drink plain water, have a black coffee. If you like coffee, you don't have to have coffee. And then 12 hours later at 8 a.m., 
have your breakfast and have an actual meal, not little tiny grazing of a satisfying meal. And then every day, push that a little later, a little later, a little later, or shave it off the nighttime and shave it off the morning you know, so that you're extending your fast a little bit. And then what happens is this phenomenon that Dr. Bert Herring writes about called appetite correction. Our own brain has an appetite center, an apostat that manages and, and regulates our satiety and hunger hormones. That apostat starts working when we're fasting. And it starts telling us the foods it wants and doesn't want. So for many people, then after you get into this daily clean fasting regimen and you feel really well, and your body is then in the driver's seat telling you the foods it wants and doesn't want, it takes less willpower. It makes it easier to go, yeah, I'm not interested in that anymore. You get this heightened sense of that doesn't make me feel so good. Whereas when, if you do the food first, that's very emotional. It feels like deprivation. It's really hard. You're eating all the time. You're not regulating insulin and blood sugar and dieting is hard. So why not flip it and start fasting clean Start eating in an eating window, shrink that eating window and let your body start steering you towards the foods that it doesn't want and that it does want. So that's my approach. That makes a lot of sense. And actually I have a very close friend and uh, a member of my partner's family who have just very recently developed prediabetes. And I was talking to them about fasting and changing, trying to shift them more to a low carb diet. And I found that they are very resistant to the low carb diet. I get a lot yeah. of negotiation about that. I'm getting almost no negotiation on the intermittent fasting part, as long as it's like, you know, something under 18 hours, even under 16 hours, let's say. Most people, I think, can do that without too much issue, as long as you leave their food alone. Once you start saying, maybe if you stop eating the rice or the bread. Cause you know, if, if, especially if they have a continuous glucose monitor, they can see exactly what that's doing yes, to them. I love that CGM. Oh yeah. That's a great tool. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, even, even when they see that and they're putting two and two together, they, they understand it intellectually, but it's still because there's a lot of emotions tied up in food. So I love that you're coming at it from the intermittent fasting part and then people's appetites correct over time. And they just do it by themselves without you having to push too much. Yes. Now for some people, it really, really ultimately does take focus, willpower, determination to cut out those addictive foods because they are addictive. There's a reason that we cling to them. You know, have you ever noticed how people cling to their coffee creamer? Like, don't take it away because it's an addictive substance. It's designed that way. So, um, you know, people are like, oh, I could intermittent fast, but I can't do without my creamer. Oh, let's look at that. Why do you love it so much? <laughs> so I, um, you know, you said under 16 hours, I think I really encourage people to get to a 16 hour, you're asleep for seven or eight of it, right? So get to a 16 hour regimen within a week or two, settle in there into an eight hour eating window, maybe from 11 to seven. Some people are like, I really want breakfast. Okay. I really want my creamy coffee. Okay. Open your eating window at 10 and close it at six. And either way you're sacrificing something, but it's for a worthy cause. And people feel so much better very quickly. They're like, Oh, 
the fasting part is the easy part. It's the eating part that's harder. <laughs> it's like, right. So let's get the fasting settled in, get into your fasting groove. You know, if people really do want to see a marked difference, improvement in their numbers quickly, I really recommend then settling into 16-8 and working up to a six-hour eating window. You can have a wonderful big snack and a meal in six hours, you know, and then I just, there has been not one client that I've worked with who didn't normalize their blood sugar, at least move from type two to pre-diabetic or pre-diabetic down to, you know, 5.6 or lower um, within a few months and without any deprivation or agony. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about that because obviously listeners of this podcast are type one, type two, and I know you don't really work with as many type ones, but right. you do have quite a few type twos. So what do you see from the type two population that's coming in? Obviously, maybe they've gotten a bad diagnosis. Are they coming to intermittent fasting organically or did their doctor recommend it? And, and how do you kind of get them started? I understand you want to get them into a at least a 16 hour fast over a short period of time, hopefully. But what, what are the steps you take people through? Well, people do come for different reasons. Their doctor may have recommended it. People are starting to respect you know, the, the uh, Diabetes Association. Finally, I think within a year said, oh, okay, we now agree that it is a life. It can be a lifestyle um, illness. You know, it's like, wow, it took them a long time. And so we don't want to blame the individual with type two diabetes or a diagnosis of pre-diabetes, but there are corrections that need to be made. And what's so exciting is it's reversible. You can actually turn that train around. It's in your hands. And intermittent fasting is the easiest way to do that. And fasting clean, I keep saying clean, 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 because you can find anything on the internet that says, oh, a little lemon, a little cucumber water, a little hint of that, or people will say, you know, bulletproof coffee with the MCT oil or whatever kind of fat you put in it. Um, having fat in your coffee gives you this nice, wonderful, sustained energy all morning until you eat. It's like, right. But burning my own body fat gives me a nice, sustained, even bright energy all day until I eat. So would I rather be using the fat in my coffee cup or the fat on my body? I would rather be tapping into the fat on my body. So fast clean. So I really recommend for anybody, whatever their numbers are coming to me, that we figure out their goals, their health and weight goals. We figure out what their daily schedule is, what their preferences are, what, you know, some people are like, well, I would rather eat in the middle of the day, but it's more important for me to eat dinner with my family. Okay. You know, or when people are exercising or, you know, we take all those factors and we ease in from 12, 12, get to 16, eight. And then people tend to I tune into people's innate curiosity. They're like, you know, I'm just kind of naturally, it hits noon and I'm not actually really that hungry. So I'll wait till one and then I eat my dinner and I'm done by six or seven. So I'm not even really keeping my eating window open till eight anymore. It's like, great. You just shrank your own eating window because you were paying attention to your body. And so sometimes it takes some determination and focus. And sometimes it just happens naturally, but depending on the severity of the person's health, 
depends on, you know, how quickly we, we move. And uh, I like to put food into four categories when I'm coaching people. One would be the trigger foods, the foods that really set people off that once you go through one drive through, you're going through them all. Or once you eat one thing, you've got that on your mind for days, or you eat that one thing and you, the whole bag is suddenly gone, or you eat that one thing and suddenly you're craving lots more, a cascade of other ultra processed foods after you start that first trigger food. So trigger foods, being aware of what those are. The second category would be foods that make you feel poorly, a headache, gassy, moody, sluggish, puffy, achy, you know, restless leg, like all the, and people are like, what? Oh, when I feel like that, that's caused by food. Yes. <laughs> so let's start tuning in. What makes your tummy suddenly pop out? What makes you puffy? What makes you doubled over in pain? So the foods that make you feel poorly, the third column that I have people pay attention to are your rushed grab and go. I'm exhausted foods, the foods you eat at the computer in the car, you're running out the door and you grab it, or you're so exhausted at the end of the day, you don't have an ounce of energy to put together a meal. What do you eat? And so reducing those three first three columns is really important and adding to the fourth column, which is the foods you love that love you back. So as you said, your family, they may love rice. Well, that might be delicious and satiating for them, but it may shoot their blood sugar right up in a dangerous level that taking a walk after doesn't bring it down. You know, a lot of people don't know that if you take a walk after eating, that can really affect bringing your blood sugar right down. But if you notice that you have a CGM on and you ate whatever you ate, your blood sugar shot up and you even took a walk and it didn't bring it down, that is a, that's a problem food for you. And um, we really want to get passionate about eating the things that we love that love us back. And so we keep adding to that list. I love the way that you methodically approach that. And I do think that if people can get a CGM, it's really eye-opening. This friend that I have that just recently was diagnosed with uh, pre-diabetes, she just got her CGM and we were looking at all the different foods that she was eating. And she, she came over to my house and we had a very low carb meal and she was hovering right around like 100 to like 108. We checked after she ate. It was just nice and steady around there. Then we walked a little bit, came down to 79. She went home and then she ate some chips and she ate some rice and it shot up to like the 170s. Mm. And then she walked around the block. She brought it down a little bit. And then overnight she was hovering around 114, 120, which is too high, which is pre-diabetes mm -hmm. level. And I was like, just think about it. If you hadn't had the chips and the, and the rice and stuff, if you would just close your eating window after we had that meal, guess what? You'd probably stay around 80 pretty much the rest of the day and probably all night long. And then there you go. No more pre-diabetes. Like you're back in the very normal range. So it does take some understanding how your own body works. It's one thing for somebody yes. to tell you that's how it works, but to see it is a very different story. It is so exciting seeing those numbers. Yeah, it gets us a little more dialed into um, how important it is to choose foods that make us feel well. And so one step can be just changing what you open your eating window with, okay? So let's say you open your eating window at 11, you have an eight hour eating window, you close it at seven. If you focus on opening your eating window, not with whatever a standard breakfast 
might or lunch might be like a sandwich or a danish or something but that you open your eating window with fat and protein and greens and save your carbs for later if you really are not interested in reducing them just open with fat and protein like hard-boiled egg avocado some tuna a little mayo some crunchy celery on a bed of whatever a blend of fat and protein and I always put everything on greens because that's delicious and amazingly good for you. <laughs> and um, save save the refined processed carbs for later. And I think what happens is that people notice when they open their eating window with fat and protein and some greens, maybe some other veggies, how well they feel for the rest of the day. It's like, oh, I want to keep that going. And it doesn't mean you can't ever have these things ever again, unless you get really tuned in and you're like, that messes with my numbers big time. I am not doing that anymore. No way. I'm more committed to feeling amazing and living long than yeah. eating rice. Sometimes yes. it takes a while for the brain and body to make that connection. Sometimes you have to for learn sure. it again. Like I, even with type one, I know the things that affect my blood sugar. And sometimes I eat them anyway. And then I end up paying the price for like a day or two afterward. Like with type one, if you set yourself off with a really bad food, you could end up on the blood sugar roller coaster, which believe it or not, it can sometimes last for like a day, sometimes yeah. two days, if it's like pizza or something like that. And, uh, you know, every time I have to relearn one of those lessons, I've learned, had to relearn them fewer and fewer times as I've gotten older. Cause I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't have the energy or the heart to keep doing this anymore. So I, I pretty much have stopped all those things, but Recently, I had some banana bread, which is something I like, but it really messes my blood sugars up. And mm. I just felt horrible because I was on the roller coaster and I was just like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And I won't do that again for another two or three months or maybe six months now, who knows? But your brain does click in at a certain point in time that this is just not a good idea anymore. Yeah. And yeah, I don't have any clients who are type one, but I have lots of friends who are. And gosh, I wish I could remember what this article was. It was an op-ed. It was an opinion piece in the New York times where a woman with type one wrote in saying that intermittent fasting had really changed her life. And that article has been so instrumental for me in sharing with people because, and the reason I don't have any type one as my clients is because I really need the type ones to be working so closely with your doctors and your insulin levels. And, but do you find that you use less insulin when you're being mindful of when you're eating and what you're eating, but having an eating window helps regulate your insulin. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you yeah. need, especially since I'm doing like a pretty low carb at this point, I need less mm -hmm. insulin for when I eat. And then when I close my eating window I have a basal background insulin and that has been cut by over 50%. And I've been doing intermittent fasting for a year now. And sometimes your basal rates just change, just your body changes a little bit, but it's really stayed at that 50% level since I started a year ago. So it's, it's amazing in terms of blood sugar management. It is amazing. Congratulations. Thank wow. you. That's Thank you. beautiful. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your, your coaching practice, because I, had I known that there was such a thing as a, an intermittent fasting coach. I would have definitely started with one, even though I have type one, I would have worked with my doctor and a coach, but um, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to think through, but I think the handholding and the support would have been so helpful. So explain to me what happens and I'll, I'm going to link up in the show notes, how people can find you if they want to hire you, but what somebody that is interested in intermittent fasting and, and maybe making dietary changes might 
experience when they when they come to you? Well, thank you for asking. It is such a joy to have had my life turn out this way. I mean, what an unexpected turn to be able to support people with taking really good care of themselves. And um, especially past a certain age, for sure, where it, it just seems to get harder and harder and feels hopeless. And um, so I first get a health overview and get a sense of what people's goals are and what they care about and what's important to them and what they want life to be like. And um, really my job is as a keen listener. So in my group coaching, for example, in one of my, I call them fast chats that I have every month with my members. Someone said recently, they're like, wait, so-and-so asked this and you gave them this coaching. And then so-and-so asked something else and you told them to do the opposite of the other person. I'm like, right, they're not the same person. <laughs> so I'm looking at your age, your goals, your health, your like what motivates you. Sometimes people can be so, so gripped, like imprisoned by diet mindset that even if you don't consider yourself a dieter, like some people like lifetime dieter, other people like I've never been on a diet. I just, you know, um, but all of us, no matter where you are on that spectrum, are locked into diet mindset, this punitive deprivation, you're being bad, you're trying to be perfect. If, if those foods are bad and you eat them, then you're bad and you're trying to be good. And so my listening is all around eradicating that and shifting the person's experience to what matters most is how you feel. So we look externally for what we're allowed and what's approved and what is being good. And I'm like, it's not about being good. It's about feeling good. Okay. So when you wonder about the scale or you wonder about your A1C or you wonder about all the other things on your scoreboard, the first thing I want you to do is like scan your body be like, how do I actually feel? Am I bright and sharp and alert? Do I aches and pains and how am I sleeping? And am I in a good mood? Am I a more patient person? Do I feel happier? And um, then we make fasting choices and food choices and movement and adjustments to sleep and um, based on how you feel. And so I think that's the surprising aspect. People come to me to get on track, you know, to get a good foundation. So I lay that foundation. I have some cornerstones of my foundation program, which are curiosity, the clean fast, customization, and continuing. I used to, that fourth C used to be consistency. And I felt like consistency is kind of a judgment. Like, have I been consistent? It's like, no, I don't care because being consistent feels like perfection, <laughs> like trying to be perfect. I'm like, no, I just want you continuing. I just want the toes on the starting line today, moving forward, continuing. So laying that foundation and having a person feel steady and sturdy and peaceful. This isn't a diet. It's a quiet. And then when we continue to work together, People keep having really awakenings in terms of their relationship with their body and what's motivating them. Again, goes deep into feeling good as opposed to the punitive being good aspects of diet culture. 
that's that's a great overview of what you do. And I think, gosh, it would have been so helpful to have that kind of support at the beginning, especially. Now, when somebody starts, you like have a more intense starting period with them and then you do the monthly stuff and then people sort of phase out or how, how does that typically work? Well, some people feel like, you know, but your budget is an issue too, right? So I've worked hard to train myself to be as accomplished as I am and earn a living. And uh, so my fees are, can be a stretch for people. And so people have a choice of some group work and membership and some recordings and, or working with me one-on-one -on -one. and the minimum one-on-one -on -one would be six sessions. And sometimes people think, what am I, why do I need six sessions? You know, but it is that aspect of in six sessions, you've got two months of life as an intermittent faster. You have now, whether you're a new intermittent faster or experienced, you've got that two months of coaching and me pointing out to you um, ways to tweak and tinker and make it better and feel better. And um, as Jen Stevens uh, my friend who wrote fast feast repeat and delay don't deny she says tweak it till it's easy not tweak it till you the scale moves or tweak it to right but to, to, it's all about feeling good and so those six sessions of one-on-one -on -one are really special and we can spread those out over eight weeks and then I have a year-long membership once someone's worked with me then they can be in the membership so um it's an opportunity for camaraderie and coaching and a caring environment and, and continuing. <laughs> Actually, I feel like those six sessions are needed. I don't think that's too much or too little by any stretch. I think that's just the right amount to, to get you going. Cause the first mm -hmm. month, you know, and I think you've probably experienced this quite a bit with your clients and Jen Stevens talks about in her book, the first month is kind of difficult. <laughs> it can, it, it's a little bit of a, an emotional roller coaster, but after that you can kind of settle into your groove a little bit. And then probably yeah. after that you can sort of, be more intuitive with your eating, but the first two months are definitely critical. So I can see why that makes sense. Absolutely. And then, you know, my fantasy is when I work with people for a year, one-on-one -on -one, and we start out speaking every week, but then it stretches out, you know, um, 24 sessions in a year, and then they get the group classes included. And it's kind of like everything. It is exhilarating to see, to, to walk that journey with someone and see the freedom to see it's an awakening. So I think fasting, you know, there's a reason that it's a part of all religious traditions, spiritual traditions, meditation traditions, because it creates a clarity, a discernment, a quiet. I think it's a sacred ritual. And so, as you said, those first, that first month or two really takes some determination and focus like, wow, I'm doing this. You know, you feel better instantly, but at the same time, it's like, what do you mean? I can't eat all the time, you know? <laughs> So you can, it's just, you'll turn your health around if you don't. And so um, I just, I love the long-term relationship because that the freedom gets in deep. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. And I, like I said, I'm close to the year anniversary for myself and I can't imagine and I really can't imagine going back to the other way of eating as I had done before. My blood sugars were just such a mess. And I actually came to intermittent fasting for, to lose weight originally. I didn't understand that it was going to have such a great impact on my blood sugars. But now, even if you put all the weight back on me, I would still do intermittent fasting because of the blood sugar benefits. And I think to your point about people just feel better and it's just such a sacred practice that that's why you say so. 
that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And speaking of people that have stayed, so you basically stay with people for a year, assuming they sign up for that. I don't know if you hear from clients beyond that, especially people that maybe have had type two, are they able to keep their diabetes reversed or what do you hear from people? Absolutely. I, I hear a lot. So I have clients right now who I've worked with for, I think the longest client would be three and a half years. I'm still working with her. And um, I, I, it's every person, as I said, um, has had their A1C and blood sugar numbers come down. I'm thinking of one client you asked about how different people come to me. So she was able to move from type two into the pre-diabetic range within three months. And then she saw a doctor who told her that fasting wasn't safe and she stopped. And I don't go against what doctors say, but I do provide as much information as I can. And when a doctor says something that's as ill-informed as that, but the patient client will believe them. And that's, that's heartbreaking for me. And um, so, yes, I saw a woman at a big event that I went to a few weeks ago. It was like the big first big social thing that I've been to in two and a half years. And she came up to me and she introduced herself and she said, that she heard me speak in a live talk, imagine that, <laughs> in the summer of 2019. I spoke for an hour and a half. That's the only contact she had with me. She did everything I said. She started intermittent fasting that same day. She got her husband to do it with her. They were both reversed their type two diabetes. They got off all their medication. She's lost 80 pounds. I don't know how much weight he's lost. And at the time he started intermittent fasting, he couldn't walk. And now he can walk. And I burst out crying, of course, because I'm like, I spoke for, I gave a talk for an hour and a half tops. And that information emboldened her to turn her health around dramatically and to keep going. So whether someone hears me on a podcast or I will be very excited when I can give in-person talks again or someone takes my classes or someone signs up for my one-on-one -on -one, or someone watches some videos that I have on YouTube. I don't care how you get the information, but surround yourself by positive, uplifting people. If a doctor says it's not healthy, you, you should read the New England Journal of Medicine articles. You should read Dr. Fung. You should read Ben Beckman. You should, I mean, it's like endless, Jim Stevens. And uh, I have a wonderful new book out that I've co-authored called Women Action Takers Who Gained by Losing, and it's intermittent fasting stories are 21 women who turned our health around our stories in this book. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful new publication. We hit some bestseller numbers, which made me really happy because all the money goes to charity. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And you wrote another book as well. Do you want to speak about that? I did. I love my other book. The publisher stopped doing what she was doing. And so now my workbook is in limbo. And so I'm tweaking it a bit and I'm finding a new publisher. And so it will be relaunched, hopefully, oh my gosh, hopefully within the next month. So it's a workbook because I really believe in people being in action. And I love the idea 
of someone following along this information that I present and the prompts and you can draw on it and there are games and you can log things. It's like 90 days, 12 weeks, 90 days of logging and tracking if you enjoy that. And then at the end of each week, there are questions and you can remember how you felt with different foods and different fasting schedules. And you know, one of the things to keep in mind is where we eat. Are you eating at a table with food on a plate or are you eating running down the street or driving in the car at your computer? You know, so my workbook is called Celebrating Your Vibrant Future, Intermittent Fasting for Women 44 to Forever. So if somebody is curious about that, you can go to my website, which is fastforwardwellness.com. My business is fast forward and you can write me and say, you want me to, you, you want me to tell you when the, the workbook gets re-released. I'd be happy to do that. Oh, fantastic. And let's say somebody's interested in hiring you as a coach. What, how should they get in touch with you? Yeah, same way. I, my website kind of old school. Um, I don't have time to be on social media. Uh, I wish I'm not an Instagrammer. Uh, so it's fast forward wellness and you can look at the different options there and um, you can even download a free how to start guide. So it's some steps like basically outlining what I've reviewed here with you, which is, okay, set the time today that you're closing your eating window, you know, step by step by step, there are 13 steps and then some benefits to motivate you. And the benefits are deep. Oh, it's just, if someone forgets, why am I doing this again? <laughs> I will remind you. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I really want to reiterate that if, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're a type one or a type two, and you are wanting to start intermittent fasting, but you feel like it's overwhelming, which I think a lot of people might have that feeling or they tell other people that they know that they're thinking about doing it and they say, no, that's a bad idea or whatever the case may be. But if you're thinking about it and you want to start, but you just don't know how to get started, I think hiring a coach is a great idea. And I think hiring Lori is an even better idea. So um. thank you. <laughs> I just, I just love working with people and figuring out what's important to each individual and what you're dealing with and where there's any struggle, stress or strain or, you know, shooting on yourself. Like I should be better at this or blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. My job is to find that struggle, stress or strain and just soften it all out. So you're feeling better and better. Right. And uh, like I said, at the start of this podcast and to you privately, I think you just have such a nice way about you. And I could see why you have so many clients and I can see why you're somebody that people gravitate toward for, for coaching. Cause I think you have, I think it's a very, it's a field where you have to have the right, you know, personality for it. And obviously you do. So, you know, thank you. You know, we have a funny relationship with coaching though, too. We think, Oh, that's something I should figure out on my own. It's like, wait a sec, the things in life that are important to us, it's smart to have a guide. I, I use this example, like it would be weird if we were watching the Olympics and we were like, gosh, that's Simone Biles. She must be some sort of loser. She has a coach. It's like, no, of course she has a coach. They all have coaches, like people, elite athletes, you know, mostly it's athletics that we think it's acceptable and customary and required to have a coach, but why not all the things that are important to us? And if you hire a coach, you should make sure they have a coach. So I've got loads of coaches around me. I am coachable. I am open for coaching. I know I'm an ever expanding, ever growing person that needs someone else to shine a light on the places where I'm stuck. So we need coaches. So I encourage everybody to be open to coaching and to invest in your health. And whether it's me or someone else, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have it be me, but I, I want people to feel okay 
about getting help. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think finding a coach for intermittent fasting or whatever you're doing is almost like if you're finding a therapist, you may have to go through a couple people before you find somebody that you click with. So I think you, I think you'd probably, you probably click with a lot of people given, given your unique personality. So it's been so nice chatting with you. Have I missed anything that you wanted to to talk about? Mm, I don't think so. You know, just along the lines of coaching, I'm reminded of Jane Brody, who's a famous science writer for the New York times. She wrote an article last summer called we could all use a health coach because we spend 10 minutes a year tops, you know, most people 10 minutes a year with our doctors, they point out the numbers that are in red. And uh, then we aren't quite sure what to do about it. And uh, we're left to our own devices to figure it out. So that article was awesome. And and I've been uh, referring people to that for uh, the last year. And I think the other thing with regards to diabetes, which is of course the focus of your listeners, um, is that the focus with diabetes is all seems to be all on blood sugar. And I would love for people to have their attention on inflammation and fasting insulin. So if you can get your doctors to test your CRP and you can get your doctors to test fasting insulin, that those are the numbers that we really want to pay attention to. And the optimal levels for both of those happen to be under five. The range for fasting insulin, they say is 20 or under, no, under five or six. That's what we want to get it to. And through eating in an eating window every day, we're lowering our inflammation. We're lowering our fast, our high, you know, hyperinsulinemia and we're boosting our immunity. So yeah, I just wanted to bring in the fasting insulin and CRP numbers and how important they are to beg your doctors to get those, that information. Yeah, that's an important point. And also I think a lot of people don't necessarily make the connection, but whether you have type one or you have type two diabetes, when you have a diabetes diagnosis, guess what? You probably have 10 other things or you're about to get 10 other things because they're all so correlated. So it's really vital to get your diabetes under control. So that you don't end up with other very, very bad health issues. (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Robert Lustig, I I think it's, I I read a lot of books, books, but I think it's that said it awakened me to the obesity and the type two diabetes are not the issue. Those are the symptoms of underlying pathology, which is hyperinsulinemia and inflammation. So I really do focus on those two numbers and get, 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 dig under the blood sugar issue. Well, this has been great. It's been great to speak to you. And it's really nice to speak to somebody that is a coach that understands the health aspect of intermittent fasting, as well as the weight loss, because with people with diabetes, it's not just about losing weight. It's really about getting blood sugars under control, getting the rest of your health, as we just talked about, get under that, get that under control. So it's really good to have somebody that understands the whole picture. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. And you know, they're calling Alzheimer's now type three diabetes. So warding off Alzheimer's and having our brain fueling on ketones as well as some glucose, but just not a hundred percent glucose. And again, another reason to bring that fasting insulin down if you are type two or pre-diabetes diagnosis. So yeah, warding off Alzheimer's, very motivating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. Well, anyway, thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes so people can find you. And it was just really a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thanks so much for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.